Hello and welcome to another edition of Football Lords, the QPR podcast. We've had a bit of a misfit here because my table fell down and all my stuff went everywhere. And um, we're very professional. And today we're joined by Robert Gilbert. Robert, you're out. I'm all right. How are you, Paul? Ah, come on, right? Nothing to report. Bored all day as usual. Just managed to smash a table. Happy days. Um, we've got Charlie Wise, and um, who's also putting this out Fire Talking Rangers YouTube channel. You right, Charlie? I'm very well, thank you. Very well. And we have the manager, head coach, Mick Michael. He doesn't mind what you call him. He does understand the big deal about it, do you, Michael, Mick? You're absolutely fine with it. All good. <laughs> exactly. Now, Mick, what a week. I mean, you had that performance at Millwall, which was nothing short of just brilliant. Uh, second half, absolutely torn to shreds. And by all accounts, on the first half of Saturday, you were bored. Yeah, what I mean by bored, that was no, there was no disrespect to uh, Alex Neal and his team. It was more just ourselves, really. Like, you know, I felt we were um, a little bit safe in how we were playing. So I wanted to do two things, really. Give them that information to sort of poke them a little bit, provoke them, but also make a change and sort of make us a little bit uh, unbalanced defensively in terms of more attackers and just see what happened. I thought it made for a much better second half. Still no goals, but obviously made it uh, a nicer game for uh, the people there. And also for us as well, I felt we um, we probably created enough in the second half. We had three or four really big opportunities to win the game. And uh, I was after the game saying that it was a fair result. But on reflection of watching the game back, we had three or four opportunities that we've got to take, really. I mean, that's I guess that's football, though, isn't it? I mean, the championship, it doesn't get you much time to reflect, does it? I mean... How do you prefer prepare for all these games? Like you got like you got Tuesday and then Saturday, or, or it's it's freaking fast, isn't it? It's mad. I think the key thing is 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 not to look back and not over review things that are not going to happen in the next game because each style of the game is very different. Um, so you can you can end up looking back and reviewing things that are not very relevant for the next game. Now, if things happen consistent on a consistent basis with an individual you might pull that individual to one side and, and have a quiet chat and or if it's things consistent with the group you would certainly but I think a lot of uh, coaches and players can get caught up reviewing things that have gone and it's important you just keep moving to the next game with the same you know free spirit you know and freedom in your mind to get three points that is the championship last year the team that won it lost 10 games so that's one in every four and a half so Fulham at, at some stage must have just kept getting back on the horse and just keep looking forward. And, and I think that's that's it. I think you can you can lose up to 14, 15 and make the playoffs as well. So the most important thing is keep looking forward. Well, I agree. Before we hand it over to the chaps, um, so far so good in your thoughts and coming to the, It's a massive step, though, isn't it? When you get that front central bit of the dog out, it's, it's, it's quite incredible the pressure that suddenly has popped on you. You seem to have taken it all in your stride, though. It's, it's, I've never seen someone so relaxed that's just gone to what is, I think, and no doubt you do as well, everyone does. It's a massive job at QPR. It is a massive, massive job, and you've just taken your stride. Firstly, it's a huge privilege. You know, like you could just imagine if you know someone gives you uh, an offer to manage a football club, that's a huge responsibility. I've sort of been waiting for it for 
20 years build into it, if you like, um, when I started the coaching route. And uh, I've had some real high pressure jobs building up to this in terms of the clubs that I've been at and the pressure you put on yourself. I've really enjoyed it. I've preferred it than, than being an assistant, if I'm honest, because at least I know that if we cock up, the, the decisions were, were mine. And uh, rather than having to sort of, uh, as an assistant, sell your ideas to a manager, I feel like I'm in control of my own destiny a little bit. Um, and also I do feel the weight of the fans because the fans here have really big expectations for their club. And so they should. And I like the fact that you have expectation. I, I call it expectation, not pressure. And again, I've lived that in, in the big clubs that I've been in. Um, I don't find it any more unrealistic than the other clubs I've been in, which is probably a good thing as well. I always think of it as clubs you've been at plus Chelsea. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I even said the word. Well, that. Uh, Robert, Charlie, please feel to jump in and ask, uh, make some questions because I'm making the right pigs here. This I've just kicked over a table, everyone, and um, that was what you could hear in the background was my wife Liz mopping it all up. Thank you, Liz. Sorry about that. Crack on. I just wanted to um, ask a little bit about Tim. How has he sort of settled in? Um, and maybe what was secondly to that? What was maybe the decision in bringing Dazel in for in for Tim when it came to Stoke Ham on Saturday? Firstly, we're very fortunate to have Tim. Uh, he's an excellent young player, really, really top young player. I've worked with him for six or seven months at Aston Villa. He was with the first team every day. He, he got on the pitch a couple of times, had a start against um, Norwich in the Premier League. Really, really talented young boy. I didn't think that Aston Villa would let him go out on loan. I knew that Premier League loans would go very late in the window and I wanted to do as much business as I could in terms of the freeze early on. We probably didn't do as much as I was expecting to do, if I'm honest, but um, we managed to get Tim in. Now, the issue with Tim is he hasn't he hasn't played this season. He's played one under-23s game and he played in the summer in the under-20s tournament or under-19s tournament, should I say. So he's not played 90 minutes yet in a men's game. You know, in, you know, in mm. the championship away at Millwall was a big game. He came off with cramp everywhere is the nicest way of saying it. He, he sort of, uh, he, he was really sore. Now, a young 19-year-old does recover in time for Saturday, but I think Andre's been doing well and all. And I thought it was, you know, if you look at it, if you're Andre's shoes, it was a bit harsh to be left out of the weekend. And I just felt that Andre's fresh legs was the right decision, knowing that Tim would come on in the game. And then I could maybe move... Tim on for Stefan or for Sam if they tired. Now, the game played out in a different way because I, I obviously brought uh, Lyndon and then Stefan come off with a slight knock. So you can't plan these things perfectly. But I've been really, really pleased with Andre as well. I think Andre's the next youngest player in the first team, really, other than um, Sinclair Armstrong and Tim. So I've been delighted with him so far this season. Yeah, it's going to be quite the balance, especially when Amos is going to come back into the fold as well. How do you think you'll almost balance a fantastic addition in bringing Tim in alongside the other players we've got and then the sort of growth and potential and fulfilling that with Dizelle? How are you going to you know, try and manage that in terms of our asset as well as you know a, a great signing that we have until the end of the season? Well, let's not forget Taylor as well, because I think Taylor's Taylor really as well, yeah. when he comes in. The biggest mm. thing is the amount of games we have in the championship, what we've had the first eight or 10 games is 
We've had issues with energy in the first three game weeks. It's been an issue at QPR into last season. I think we haven't won the third game. I think we've won it four out of sound like 12, the third game in a three game week. So it's something that I was aware of coming into the club when I looked at certain things. And we haven't had, due to injuries, competition. As soon as we've got competition, I've seen people playing much stronger, much better performance-wise. Uh, all of a sudden, everyone's little niggles are now disappearing because they want to be fit and available for selection. And I think, do you know what? They need to fire out. The reality is when we've got six or seven good midfielders and we're playing free, they need to fire out. It's the same with the forwards. I think that's what happens in all the big clubs. We want to be a big club. We want to have a club with you know lots of young players with competition for playing. And during the season, it's never an exact science because you build your squad with maybe 10 or 15% in your mind being injured. I think at the start of the season, we had 20% injured and it was the wrong 20%, if that makes sense, because the players that we had out together slowed the process down. And whatever happens at the end of the season, I'll still look back and think that first two months was slowed down massively by the injuries that we had. Do you um, do you think the five subs rule has sort of helped you when when bringing in well, the midfielders, seeing as that's what we're talking about? Because you can bring in more because you can ask someone like Stefan Johansson, who sort of played all of last season it seemed with an injury sort of say go and give me 60 minutes because you know in your back pocket you've got five subs as opposed to three do you think that's I mean has that changed your thinking and outlook of how you want to play there's been a lot of discussion about the five subs and whether which clubs it's a benefit for which one it isn't other way say as a coach it's a huge benefit to me because I know that 15 outfield players on a Saturday realistically feel they can get on the pitch and contribute. It means I can keep the energy on the pitch high. It means I can keep people engaged and involved. And if need be, I can completely flip the tactical way of how the game's looking. I can completely flip the game if I want. You know, we could be having a, an absolute shocker and with 30 minutes to go, I can completely flip the look and feel of our team in hope of trying to turn a game around. And in the reverse of that, if I need to close up or people are getting tired, I can be very, very um, clever in, in the decisions that me and the staff make. So I'm a big fan of it. I've got to be honest. I'm a big fan of it. I know there's some people that, um, that are against it. It was coming in regardless if I was a fan of it or not. So what I have to do is look for the extra inches and the advantage for, for QPR and the team's that I work with and the players that I've got. And, and yeah, I think it's um, a big benefit, and especially when you're implementing a new style and maybe that's, you know, physically taking more out of the players than the previous style. And that's not that there was anything wrong with uh, last year's style. It's just that my style is obviously slightly different and the players need to adjust to it. And some players have been going to the well, playing three games a week because we haven't had backups Um Albeit if you gave them the option of playing three games a week or playing two and coming not playing the third one, they would definitely take the first option there. That's just the way players are. You mentioned Please. your um you mentioned how you've got your system that you want to play. It's sort of becoming obvious now to the fans just how vital the wing backs are to, mm -hmm. to your system. Um, I mean, I'm sure the others agree. Laird and Powell have been absolutely fantastic the last few weeks. And I think they've really as they've gotten to learn the system, um, we've improved, I think, in, in my opinion. I mean, how much more do you think there is to come from those two? Do you think we've even seen the best of them yet? Uh, Ethan's a Premier League fullback, in my opinion. I've, been worked with an, I've worked with a number of 
top right backs over the years, you know, going back to Reese James as a young boy, Tariq Lamptey, Trent Alexander-Arnold, James Tavernier, Nathan Patterson, Matty Cash. They've sort of been the last sort of seven, eight years of right backs that I've worked with. Ethan should be a Premier League player moving forward. He's 21 years old. There's nothing not to like about him. He's a wonderful kid when you meet him as well. Every game, he seems to get in attacking areas where he should come away with an assist or goal. Fair play to him. Kenneth was a, was an interesting one because he was a boy that I'd seen play when he was very young as a winger. <coughs> I went away to a tournament in Kusadazi in Turkey uh, with the other club in West London. Is that how I've got to say it now? Yeah, so the other Correct. club in West London. <laughs> And we had a very talented team, a lot of players playing in the Premier League now. We played against PSV, was at the tournament. And there was a break in the tournament on the Thursday. And there was 12 Turkish teams and 12 European teams. And they asked me to coach the, the European team, the invited teams into Turkey, should I say. And so I picked Kenneth as the left winger. He was 13 then, played with Dom Solanke, Jake Clark Sauter, Tammy Abraham, uh, a couple of others from his PSV team. And so I've always had this link with him. I've seen him again when I was working at Liverpool when he was 15, 16, 17, 18, and then um, was watching him closely at Glasgow Rangers. And then this summer he was on a free, and I just felt it was a great opportunity. He's, he's come in on a, a really competitive wage in our squad, you know, in terms of he's come in to really back himself. His young girlfriend's pregnant back home and she'll be having the baby in the international break or the World Cup break in November. So he's made a great commitment to us. And I felt that people would possibly judging him a little bit too soon, not realising everything that's gone on in the background. We knew we had a good player because we see him every day in training. He's also very, very flexible, just like Jake Clark sort of can play left of a two, left of a three and left back. Uh, Kenneth can play in midfield and he's played in midfield for the Dutch youth teams and he's captain PSV's B team as a as a number six or a left eight as well. So I knew what I was getting. And ultimately, they both bring the technical level of the team up and they bring the energy of the team up as well, which is important. You're right in saying that I do like fullbacks that attack because I like to defend with two and maybe a midfielder in front. I don't want too many behind the ball. I think it's hard to score if you're playing against six or seven defenders with six forwards or six attacking players. You have to try and... But at the same time, when you know Stoke do what they did at the weekend, we have to throw sand back at them. So we went with more with Taylor and with Tyler, sorry, and, and Chris more wide in the second half. And then... Ethan and, and Kenneth came a bit later to the attack. So the flexibility has got to be there because the other managers will do everything they can. One thing that's been quite intriguing at the start of the season is teams seem to have changed to play against us. So we must be doing something that's interesting in terms of we've had a couple of surprises in terms of the other team's shape at the start of the game, that they've, they've done something that maybe they haven't been doing in the previous game. So we're definitely inside people's minds, which is a nice, and it shows there's a respect for the work that we're doing. Going back to um, Ethan, is there a chance that we can keep him for on a permanent deal or is am I being way too ahead of myself here? Because I'd <laughs> like him. Yeah, I think you'd like him. Like, to be, <laughs> to, to be fair, um, we didn't think we could get Ethan. We went down the route of a couple of other right-backs because a good friend of mine that worked with me at Liverpool under 23s is now the deputy CEO at Man United. 
All right. I spoke to him the moment he got the job about Ethan and he was like, look, I think he might stay in. The fees are at this. And I was like, wow, that's out of our league. Let's forget about it. We went down a different route. We tried to do a permanent for what I feel is another very good right back. Didn't work out. We was about to discuss another right back and then my phone rung and it was like, look, there's a chance you can get Ethan if you want him. And I was like, wow, okay, let's get back to the table and, and see it. And I'm so glad it's fallen the way it is because I think we've got the best one out of the ones we were looking at. And sometimes I, I get that a player comes on loan and he goes back after a year, but when it's someone the level of Ethan and what he gives the rest of the squad and the other players, I think it's, it's, it's a no brainer. You look at the clubs that have done well in the championship the last few years, and they have relied on loans and more loans than what we're relying on. I do think we're, we're, we're in a, we're in a good place with ours. And, and I, I just think he's made a massive difference to our team. He's made Kenneth a better player because the eyes are now on two fullbacks rather than maybe one. And that's nothing against Aussie, but Aussie's obviously a different type of fullback. Yeah. The two fullbacks get forward. It's very hard when they're occupying the width to stop Ilias and Chris in the middle. So, you know, if you block the middle, we'll go to the side. If you block the sides, we'll come back to the middle sort of scenario. Um, it's important that our midfielders now start to add a little bit more as well with their running to get forward and score and create because I think we need to be able to score and create in a number of ways. And I think we've got the most goal scorers in the league in terms of different type of goal scorers, which... A lot of the teams I've coached in the past have had that trait, but you know you do want one or two main players jumping out, of course. The thing, talking about the midfielder, I've got to be honest with you. I mean, I think the wee lad Chris is quite decent, Mick, and I, I recommend you keep playing him um, because Stoke were terrified of him on Saturday. They they didn't know what to do, so they reverted to the old-fashioned technique of trying to kill him. And um, he's a strong lad as well, isn't he, Chris? He's he's got so much about him. I just hope that we can keep him for the whole season because he's one of the, him and the partnership he has at Ilias is just mind blowing. It must be a delight for any manager to work with him so what, what they can do in the pitch. Yeah, I think the biggest thing is like, if you look at the best teams in history, that, you know, certain players play all the time and certain players have a real big connection. They don't get that. It's not the school playground where one goes in one team, one goes in the other. Yeah. To get that sort of relationship, you have to train together every single day. We've been lacking that as a team because Chris, until recently, I think the weekend was his first 90 of the season because we've been picking up with his fitness. Um, and obviously Tyler's not been fit. The two fullbacks haven't been there. We've had some different injuries in midfield. So different problems at centre-half. So we've, we've struggled to build the relationship. So the fact we're playing well um, or well enough in people's eyes is a good thing. But I'm expecting us to get stronger as the season goes. And... I'm looking for other little uh, relationships to come out on the pitch uh, as well. As as we all know, we've got a reasonably young group, you know, outside of two or, or three or four players, everyone's 25 and below. And most football teams now lack a voice, you know, like a good voice. And uh, and Leon's managed to bring that, Leon Balogun, just that little bit older. Uh, he's not a shouter or beat of his chest, but he talks well to the players around him. And we're going to need that over the season, certainly. It can't always come from the staff. We're having a lot of open conversations in the group where they're allowed to share their own feelings of the way the game's gone and the tactical changes. So I'm really trying to bring them up. Little things like wearing suits to match days, I'm, I'm sure you all saw it at the weekend. They look different in my eyes. Just by putting the suit on, they look naturally look older and a little bit more professional. And 
they won't all thank me for doing it right now, but I'm hoping in a few years they realise that we're just trying to give them a bit more ownership. And I keep saying to them, it's your team. I'm giving you a roadmap every week of how you might be successful. It's up to you if you want to run with it and, and, and make me look a genius or a fool. That's pretty much on you guys. And that's the tale for every team, really. That's you mentioned podcast, I tell you as well. Don't kick tables over Mick, just saying. <laughs> Carry on, Robert. Um, I was going to say that things are moving well, but there's there's sort of a clutch of players who, I don't know their exact age, but they're sort of 23, 24 years old, but they're not in the team and they're only a few minutes here, a few minutes there. Um, Shadipo's Thomas Masterson. How, how hard is it to keep those players happy? Because obviously, you know, dissenting voices in the camp can, can bring it all down. Sort of how how difficult a task is it to keep them engaged, keep them on board, as it were? A couple of things, really. Like the first one is you're, you're always honest. So <laughs> them boys know exactly their role in the squad and they had a choice whether they continued and fought for their place or they wanted more guarantees than what we could give them at this moment in time. And they all chose to stay. So... That's the first one. You create an environment as well. We work with unit coaches. So what I mean by that is, yes, I'm the head coach and I oversee everything, but I gave, give the other coaches a lot of delegation in terms of managing certain players. So they've all got, every player in the squad's got a coach that looks after them in terms of their welfare, their conversation on where they're going in their career and their training. And we never, ever let up on that. So every single session, day after a game, we might have, 12 to 13 players, three or four kids coming over to train from the younger age groups. And I never miss a session. That's the most important thing. You know, them days are for your environment are more important than the many, you know, because how them players feel, the boys didn't get on or didn't get in the squad. And at any moment, them boys can come to me and say they fancy, you know, going to play somewhere else or going on loan. So the ball's very much in their call. I didn't force anybody out. Mm. Um, but I was honest with everybody. One or two had more options than than others, and but ultimately everybody wanted to stay in and be around it, which is a nice sign that it's a good environment behind the scenes. We don't want the environment to be too comfortable. We, you know, we want we want players that um, are chomping at the bit to play. I don't see anyone happy they're not playing, if that makes sense. Um, but I also trying to raise the standards inside the football club every single day and. I've been very lucky. I've been to what top looks like. I've been, if anything, I've had the golden spoon. I've not had the reality of football, if you like. I've not been beaten up by the game. And I'm trying to push these young men to to, to push on. And I've got a good, them boys you just mentioned there, I've got a good relationship with all of them. And I've just been honest from the start. And uh, I asked for honesty in return from the, on the very first day I came in. So, if any of them wanted to go in the window, they were free to if they felt it was better for them. And that came down to every player as well. You know, if, if Chris Aurelius felt that their future now was better elsewhere and it was nicer to play at another football club, then they had the same opportunity, but no one came. So that's that's a positive. To be honest with you, I think, and I still say it, our best window was keeping hold of Seni, Chris, Ilias. And if we could just... Uh, one thing that's impressive more than anything is the way you're handling the situation with the strikers, whether they're scoring or not scoring. You, you, you're putting that arm around them. You, you're, not, you're not letting them hide. You let them. And I think 
it will happen. It will, they will come good. You know, they, they, I can see what's going on there, and it's it's so much better to, than, than you know some managers throwing the the strikers to the lions, and you know because we all know when strikers not scoring, their head's not right, and it, it affects them. I think the way you've handled the players has been brilliant. By the way, I just want to say that I think, and it shows where they come on. You know, Millwall. You know. Dexy comes off the bench and he's he's like a different person. He's 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 going for it and he's not hiding. And I think it will happen for him and it will happen for Tyler as well. Good up front. I mean, we've just I think if we start scoring from the top all the way through our team, we're going to terrify sides in this league. I think we're going to have to fight two for now for every single point we got. And I think every player in the squad realizes that. I think every player in the squad also, the teams, the vehicle, wherever they want to go with their career, wherever they want to go in, in you know, with their, their life and their career for them and their family, the aims they've got, you don't get there in an unsuccessful team, unfortunately. So mm-hmm. whether you're going to take QPR there or whether you're going to move there yourself, you have to be playing in a team that plays a certain way and looks a certain way, in my opinion, you know, because it has to be appealing to the next club. And so they're all buying into that. We've got a no dickheads policy, but I've been very fortunate coming into the club that we don't really have anybody. There's been a lot of things said about one or two players in the media, and that's certainly not the boy that I'm seeing every day. Everybody since the day I've come back in has done everything that I've asked of them. And, and so, look, it's early days. This time last year, the team was doing fantastically well. Three months down the line last year, the team was doing fantastically well. We want to peak. We don't want to, you know, we want to keep growing and growing and growing to the end of the season. We want to peak in the middle of May. We don't want to be peaking too early. So although it's all unfortunate the injuries took time uh, to come back, we're one player now, you know, touch wood, this international break is a bit of a nervous time, but uh, we're, we're one player in Taylor away from having everybody fit. And so, therefore, we should keep growing and moving forward. And hopefully that means the three game weeks uh, are a little bit easier on our legs. The biggest issue I'm going to have when everyone's fit is is picking 16 outfield players to travel every week. You know, it's like, you know, the two keepers is an easy one um, because we have two senior keepers and two young ones. If the two seniors are fit, that's not a problem. But the 16 outfield players in a minute is going to come a problem when you probably with your bench, you try to go two defenders two midfielders, two forwards. Um, that's going to be a real difficult task at some stage. But well, what a brilliant problem to have, though. Well, that's what you do it for, you know, like, um, and I think we want to, you know, in, in all fairness to every player, it's not me, you know, talking down on where we are as a club at the moment. I want to be in a stage at some stage in my career where I'm leaving out far better players than the ones I am now and playing in much bigger competitions. And that's the same for the players as well. We all talk about we want to get there. Well, what does it actually look like? And what have you got to give to it? Um, and that, you know, me and Neil in particular, because of obviously Neil's background and mine, we are a little bit ruthless at times with our feedback with the players and what we're demanding from them. I like the fact the players go home a little bit exhausted physically and mentally because I think we can't be looking at Saturdays and Tuesday nights. We've got to be looking Monday to Friday at the work we're doing behind the scenes and everyone's got to be improving, improving physically, improving tactically, improving technically, improving in their relationships and their understanding. These boys go to work together every single day. So by the end of the season, they should almost have a degree in QPR and the way that we're trying to play, you know, because if not, we're not getting any smarter, are we, as a group, um, firstly as an individual and then as a collective. So, yeah, 
I'm 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 reasonably pleased as I sit here in the first international break because of where we are in the league. I'm a little bit frustrated in the points tally because I believe we should have more, but I think I'm learning that the championship is is the most up and down league in in the world because of how even the teams are. Um, apart from the three or four that get the parachute payments, which make it a little bit distorted, doesn't it? Yeah, exactly. I mean, look at Billsborough. They're, they're um, many people's favourites. And look what's happened now. Charlie, you don't like you want to come in? Yes, I just wanted to pick on what you said there. I think you mentioned that you're reasonably, reasonably pleased. But I think one thing in the last week that I think we have to be incredibly pleased about from those two games is, is two back-to-back clean sheets. I think that was the first one the season away against Millwall. And I think no coincidence in that has been Liam Balligan. I think he's been tremendous. He's been a, a wise and experienced head in, in that back line. And especially with comparison to last season, we were very leaky at the back and almost felt in some games we have to score two or three to get the three points. How much belief is it installing in the side and, and the morale as well that, you know, we're capable of creating clean sheets and we can nick a game one nil or we can, you know, we don't have to be scoring that many goals to produce these results. You know, what's that doing to the side? Well, that's huge. You know, like, to be fair, we were too deep early in the season. We dropped into the box. Uh, it's a change of style. I don't want us to be deep. I don't want us to be as high as we were in the two games that we actually won, actually. We won away at Watford and Hull, and they literally, they took every single word we said, literally. I actually said to them afterwards in a meeting that the defenders in their unit meet, who asked you to hold such a high line? I said strong line, not high line. Like I want it to be somewhere in between. So it went extremely high from being extremely deep. Listen, the, the Watford game, I didn't think either goal should have counted. I thought it was a handball and I thought it was a blatant foul on Rob. Uh, I think Rob goes down a little bit easy, but it's a foul. You know, it's, it's a foul, yeah. clear foul. VAR gives us both of them. The whole game, the boys a yard and a half offside. So therefore, there's two more clean sheets. So we would have felt a lot different about... Um, ourselves but listen they come in strange ways you know Mill hit the underside of the bar last week um, at 2-0 and that would have maybe made a bit of a a bit of an interesting finish to that game but I'm delighted it's, it's not just Leon it's, it's certainly not just Leon because I do think Rob Dickey's a top top centre half in this league as well and I certainly think Jake Clark Sorter is and then we obviously Leon, Leon and Jimmy have played the games I also think you, you think at the start of the season uh, we started with uh, Rob and Jake and we had Ozzy and Ken and then Ken was out and we and and Jake was out and we brought in Nico and Jimmy. Then we finally got back the two fullbacks that we wanted Ethan come in and, and Ken. And then we know and behold, we lost Rob. So the back four has been a little bit all over the place. That needs to settle. When it does settle, because that's the big thing last year from Christmas down with QPR is the number of injuries and the COVID and everything else. The team wasn't consistent. And so, yes, we did lose the game down at Swansea. But what I was trying to do is trying to bring a consistency to the team because I felt the consistency, it was worth the risk over time because it would bring the group closer together. And I think that's all we've seen, really. Um, I think we're seeing a team that's coming closer together in terms of ideas, closer together in terms of a unit. We've lost a lot of players that had a lot to say. And I don't mean that in a derogatory way either. I just mean we lost a lot of personality from the group. Your Lee Wallace, your Barbe, um, Charlie Austin, Andre Gray. They would have had a lot of influence, I'm assuming, in the train in the changing room because of where they'd been in their careers. And we lost all of that um, in the summer. And we brought six or seven in. So it takes time. Like 
I pride myself probably on about 50% clean sheets. So I need to go a little bit now to get to get a few more in. Uh, and it will be it will be crucial, certainly in games like the weekend when you know we're maybe just misfiring in the final third or missing chances. I look back to the Blackpool and Rotherham games and think, wow. There's there's some real drop points there. You know, Stoke are far, by far better team than them those two sides. Another one I just want to ask you quickly was, um, I think there's been there's been no denying at all that the the quality that that Roberts has brought to the side. You can see that um, he's very capable at this level. Where do you best see him playing as a side? It, from I think my perspective, I think. He, he's almost that in between a, a nine and a ten, and I think we've seen him in different areas. Seen him as a nine, seen him maybe behind Dykes, uh, maybe not best utilised, at least from my perspective. Obviously, um, <laughs> don't get the perspective you have. But where do you best see um, Roberts in the side in terms of position? Is it a nine or behind the? Strike? It gives us loads of options. So when we were bringing him in, we knew that we knew that we knew we could play him in. We knew we could play him in a number of positions. He, In his mind, he wants to be a number nine. Um, and that's where he came through as a young player and got moved around a bit. He got moved around a bit because he's a good football player. You know, he's almost too good at times to be a number nine. He plays like a midfielder or he plays like a number 10. Um, I thought it was excellent at Millwall in terms of the tactics that we asked because the size of Millwall centre-backs, we didn't want to fight with them. We wanted to come off and sort of create problems either side of their midfield. And that's how we scored the first goal. I like to give the forwards a lot of freedom because I like us to be unpredictable in those areas. Uh, I think he can play in either of the 10 positions in terms of the narrow 10s. He can play wide both sides. He can play as a support striker, as a number nine. So just all round as a squad player, he's a fantastic one. And I don't really want to nail him down to a position because I think over the season we're going to need all of them. And he is a hybrid player. That is what he is. Um, so, yeah, you have to remember as well, he's younger than Ilias and Chris. Mm. And he physically doesn't look it, does he? You know, But he's the youngest out of that three. So he's achieved a lot in football. And he, I feel he just needed a home. He needed a friendly face. He needed... He needed some consistency in terms of being important in the dressing room. And he's not had any of that, even in the time he's been with us, because unfortunately he's not been fit. It's only mm. been the last couple of games that he's been fit. He came off again at the weekend with a knock. He seems to be having some real tough luck, but this is a big two weeks for him because he goes away with a national team now and it's the last camp before the World Cup. And it's really important to him that he finds some form and stays fit between now and the World Cup, both for QPR, but obviously for, for him and his career aims as well, which for a young player must be so exciting, having the opportunity of a World Cup in front of him, similar to obviously Ilias and uh, Senny that are getting ready for that as well. What are the uh, plans for the World Cup for that break in the season? Is it going to be sort of everyone go go away for a week and then come back and do another pre-season? I mean, how would you, you do it? The, I've had I've had experience of this and obviously in Scotland we used to have the month break over Christmas um, and I suppose what, where I was at with it you, you know the players don't need another camp away together they've been together every day since pre-season they actually need a bit of time apart with their families and then to come back in and train there's this big thing let's go away and train in the warm weather and then come back and play in the wind and rain of November December in, in London so I'm I'm a mixed bag on it. I came in a little bit late, and the club hadn't hadn't uh, concreted anything in terms of a warm weather camp. So I'm quite happy with that. I'm going to let the players get a bit of time. The ones that are not going away, 
Uh, I'm going to let them have a little bit of time with their families for a week or so. And then we're going to come back in and train as normal and, and look to play some games. There'd be a lot of teams looking for games and, and just look to play. And it gives us a chance to really assess where we're at. That's another 10 games down the road. So we'll be at 20 league games by then. We still won't be at the halfway stage. Um, we'll know where we're at. And ultimately, I'll be looking at what the squad looks like then and what's the best way for us to play. And, you know, the way that you want to play, your ideas, and nothing to do with a formation, really, is how do you get your best 11 on the pitch that's cohesive to give yourself the best chance to win? And that's why we've messed around a little bit at different times and played 4-4-2 or played one behind two nines or two tens behind. And the second half the other day, we played with three tens behind a nine. We've played around with it a bit because it's it's more, what does the team need now? Um, for the team to be cohesive in those moments, it obviously needs a little bit of time behind the scenes working as well. It's not as easy as just saying, well, we'll go to this formation, we'll go to that. Um, and that's why I say having some key players injured really wasn't helpful in pre-season and the early part of the season because it meant we had to stick to one thing just for some consistency. And we didn't have much um, in terms of way of changing to make the team stronger. I feel now that, you know, just like a decision at the weekend, right, OK, we'll, we'll take a midfielder out and put the forward on. It can change the dynamic of the game and actually make you stronger. There were certainly cases early in the season where I felt we were perhaps making our team weaker in crucial moments of the game. And, and that was a horrible feeling for me, making them changes at the time I was, because you didn't want to break the players physically and you needed them for the next game. But at the same time, there was a big three points in front of your eyes right now. So, um, yeah, I think that the, the World Cup break will give us another month of being able to try that out. And uh, what a game to come back to, Burnley. There's no bigger <laughs> test, is there? No, I'll tell you one thing, though. <clears throat> I have to be honest with you. You live my the way I live. I'm Northern Irish. What the hell's a World Cup? Is it something that happens every now and again or what? I mean, you know, it's not fair. Everyone gets to go, even in the middle of the, of the Middle East, and enjoy themselves. And we sit at home watching it on TV every time. Going, oh, we're falling. But you know, what I was thinking, mate. I am wondering about this. I'm wondering down the line, especially with the cost of living crisis and everything else, if the football authorities are going to see this break and then think, hang on a second, I wonder if we should implement this every season, like do like Scotland do, do a winter break. I mean, or am I just being too clever for me on good with that one? I think that there will eventually be something with the competitions because the big clubs don't want them, do they? So the big clubs yeah. play 60 games a year because of Europe. You know, it was similar when I was at Glasgow Rangers, the amount of games we play, we played 62 to 66 games a season. I've come here and everyone's saying, oh, the championship will... You know, QPR, if we play in into 50, we've done brilliant in the Cups, you know, or we've gone into mm. the playoffs. So if we get to 55, we've had an incredible season, which must mean we've got to Wembley in one of the Cup competitions or the playoffs. It's the only way yeah. to do it. So I actually, I'm enjoying these extra 15 midweeks off, if that makes sense. So yeah, totally. the big clubs, it's not so much the amount the clubs play, it's the internationals as well. You know, young boy I worked with last year, Joe Rebo, didn't he play 70 plus games in the year? And that's some doing that, you know, to play at a level as well. There wasn't one game where he could play less than himself, less than the level that he's capable of being, because that's that's not the idea, is it? And so if I look at someone like Chris Willett, 
if he's going to play 50 games this season and imagine if he was going away and being international and playing another eight or 10 there, I can see why they're looking at it. Um, you know, it's so surprising how, you know, we genuinely went to at the team we took down to Charlton in the Carabao Cup was to go through. And if it weren't for a last minute, fantastic strike from the kid, we would have got through. Uh, I looked at the other teams in the championship that that week and I looked at the Premier League team. It's like the cup that, you know, everyone wants to just get out of the cup. So there might have to be a consider conversation around the Carabao Cup because it's it's certainly being devalued from from what I can see with my own eyes. And uh, I'm not sure um, that's healthy for the game. Well, there's only a couple of people who actually won to be fair in our history as well. So it's a, it's a big part of our life. But it is, I mean... And you can see the same thing happening with the FA Cup as well. I mean, the the, the, the big teams. I mean, if the inter- interesting thing would be if they put a European place, as in Champions League, into the FA Cup, they might see some. I don't know. It's sad, though, because I, I enjoy cup matches. And I think it's it's a real shame because Loftus Road, as you're finding out, when it's packed in a night game, there's there's nothing like it, is it, um, Robert? It's just a, just a beautiful atmosphere at Rangers, isn't it, in night games? Yeah, I agree. Fantastic. I was actually going to ask you, uh, Michael, obviously you've managed and been a assistant manager all around the world. Uh, I don't, how does it feel standing on the touchline of, with all due respect, Loftus Road, 18,000, compared to Ibrox or Sao Paulo, um, where you're assistant manager? I mean, does it feel different or is it not something you really register when you're in the, the heat of the moment? The one thing when you're looking, you know, I had quite a few offers over time. I was very lucky, you know, in, in the last few years, I've always been in a good job and well paid and and always felt I was a big part of something. So I didn't feel like I had to take that big of a risk, um, which may one you're wondering why I've come to QPR now, haven't you? So no, I think uh, the big one for me was being from London and I'd been to games at Loftus Road growing up. I knew how close the fans were to the pitch. And it's that feel, feeling that if your club is up and your fans are up and your team's playing well, that you can almost strangle the opponents. And there's a big thing in that. You can get a feeling and energy off the crowd. Now, it can work in the reverse. And I've been at clubs where it has definitely worked in the reverse, where too much is expected and you haven't scored after 20 minutes. And it's almost like your own fans are against you. Uh, so I do know that these things can turn but like if I look at Saturday the players and the fans second half couldn't give anything more to that game than to win we missed three big chances with um, Jimmy uh, Kenneth and Ilias and uh, obviously a a quite decent chance with Ethan Laird and maybe a good half chance for Lyndon Dykes in that second half but we were pushing the fans were pushing and we was all together. And I think if you are Stoke, they were delighted to get out of there with a point in the end because they felt the force of our stadium and, the, you know, us being in a good place. That's all we can all do together, isn't it? Do you know what I mean? When the team aligns with the fans, that's really good. And and that was the same. You know, the European nights at Ibrox were unbelievable. But I've also been in clubs before where things are not going so well and the heat on the players can be almost it can almost paralyse them a little bit on the pitch. You know, it can make them freeze a little bit and overthink. And so it's uh, you, you see things from certain players as well at the stadium. So when you're playing like the closed doors games that are going through COVID or pre-season, 
you see one type of player and then you get to Loftus Road and you throw a player on and all of a sudden he, he becomes something he wasn't because they are performers. They do play in front of the fans. They, you know, the fans are capable of getting more out of the players. Likewise, they are capable of, of obviously crippling a player as well with, with doubt or with fear when they go on the pitch. So uh, I do think the fans, they have to understand what impact they can have. I certainly feel that at our stadium, if our fans are right at it, it's not a nice place to play as an away player. And I actually love that. That was one of the big things that I thought, yeah, I can see that because I think I can make a team play in a way that the fans like. And then the two things coming together can make it very difficult. At the moment, our home form is nowhere near where I want it to be. So we have to keep working at that. It's funny you say that because I reckon if Senny had scored that goal, uh, um, the loft, the place would have got absolutely ballistic. I mean, it was it was it was good enough up there in Sunderland. It was the best birthday present ever. Uh, <laughs> seeing him do that, but can you imagine that loft? I mean, I I love the place. I know, listen, it's got its faults, and everyone wants to move us and change us and do this and make it more modern. But I just think there's nothing like Loftus Road for the the atmosphere and the closeness. And as you say, as long as the fans get the only thing that worries me sometimes it's not just QPR. This is a modern game is after five minutes of a young lad being on the pitch, everyone's on his back. You know, people are suddenly, they're not getting the chance they would have got years ago. And you can see it with the fullbacks now and everything. They've, they've come on so much. It's, I think we need, this is not just QPR, football and yellow, be a lot more patient with players. Do you, do you know what I mean? Like we need to give them chances because I just think it's so hard for players. They're expected to come in straight away and be flipping messy. It just doesn't, it doesn't work like that. Not at our level, not with the money that we're spending. We know we have to take, you know, we have to take gambles. We have to develop a style. You know, we have to have a good changing room. We have to recruit well. We have to train it well to get on the pitch because we're not spending the millions that even teams in our league are spending. What I would say, you know, if I had any sort of, uh, you know, request to the fans is, remember last season and what it felt like January down, play your part then this year from the same period of time down because we're trying to grow as the season goes on. We should get stronger as a team over time. You know, and we need to be eternally optimistic. We're in a league where nothing's guaranteed. So in the last week, I would have probably at the start of the week, if you gave me four points, I'd have probably said, okay, yeah, I thought it would have come in the reverse. You know, a young team going to the den... I wouldn't have took the four points at the start of the week because I thought we was capable of six. And the way the week's planned out, I'm sat here as a frustrated man right now, believing I should have had six. But it just shows you, you know, we got the three points away and we got the point at home. And you would have assumed at the start of the week, it might have been the reverse. And we've got every single game we play uh, in this year in the championship, no team that much better than the other that the result can't swing. And... You know, we're looking at, I looked at West Brom earlier in the season playing Burnley and I thought, wow, West Brom are in a good place. And they Mm. won one game in nine. And the manager's under pressure. But I look at their squad and the money they've spent this summer and the money they spend on wages. And you're a little bit envious of what they can do because there's one or two players on their list that I know well that would have come and played for us. But you can't, you know, and it's the same with one or two other clubs. You know, you look at Watford, we go there. The week we go there, two main players for them are going for 80 million and then don't go and they don't move in the window full stop. So you're thinking, well, Watford will just take off. But it hasn't been the case. And I think it's just one of them leagues where uh, you have to stay eternally optimistic every week. If you let 
you know, if you get too high or too low, all you do is kill yourself for the next game. Somehow you need to try and stay level-headed all the way through. That's really difficult for fans, and it's equally difficult for, for me, obviously, running it, because you, you want to find a level of consistency. But I think in every single manager's interviews at the weekend, every manager said, I want to go on a consistent run now. It's like a thing in the championship. Yeah. It's like, it's, 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 it's the coupon wrecker, isn't it, of, of, of leagues, if you like. Wrecker. I mean, I, I, personally, and you don't need to respond to this, I find it's the Lionels and the referees are my coupon records, but there you go. <laughs> I know we got a wee bit lucky Saturday. That's all I'm saying. Um, <laughs> I mean, I, I thought, I mean, am I wrong? Was that a penalty? I don't know. I thought it was. At first take, I looked at it, I thought, oh, crumbs. No contact. Really? No contact. Oh, good man. Well, see, I wear these for fun. I'm pointing at the glass if people listening. <laughs> so I'm glad it's bad. So I'll take That's good then. It would have been a travesty if justice of one was given then. Exactly, especially with the bad ones we've had against us. I think, I think what I would say is, is there's less control in the games in the Premier League. So the Championship's actually in our harder league to referee for sure because the ball is like end to end. So the mm-hmm. weekend, you know, Flint for uh, for Stoke. To be fair to him, he had a couple of great diagonals. They were obviously targeting Ken and our wing backs to keep him in. So from a referee, you've got to be at one end of the pitch to the other. There was times that we intercepted that, and then our three forwards were breaking on their goal. And so this middle-aged man is running from one end of the pitch to the other. In the Premier League, the game, the game, there's a lot more control in the game. In the European yeah. there's a lot more control in terms of uh, teams get to sort of 5, 10, 15. I've always been taught with football that you can tell if it's a good game or not by how many passes it takes for a team to give it away. So the lower the level, you know, we're talking about us guys playing in pub football now on the weekend, amateur football. It would be like one one pass from my team gives it to yours. You make two, give it back to mine. Make three, give it back. Championship looks like that at certain times. You know, it's important there's a rhythm to the game. And the higher up the level, obviously, teams make more passes and it gives it a rhythm. So... I don't think the refs have been wonderful, but I'm going to give them a way out. I think the championship's actually a difficult ref, uh, league to referee. Well, I would agree and disagree on the basis that the Watford lineman looked like he'd been busy with a kebab the night beforehand and a couple of beers because he was so far back, he was basically in Luton for most of the game. And the guy at Swansea, how he didn't think that was a red card, I will never know. I mean, yeah. So I know what you mean, and it must be difficult. I, mean, I, I, hear I, what I think saying. there's this big thing at the moment as well. Like, if there's us four and two of us are running the line, one of us refereeing and one of us a fourth official, surely we're there to help each other. And all yeah. I hear every week is, oh, I don't make them decisions. Um, you know, I don't help with that. And it just doesn't make sense. The four That's of true. us are there to help each other. It's hard enough as it is to referee the game. Mm. The four of us have to help each other. We have to be on our blind spots. Otherwise, what's the point? What is the point? And, and I hear that quite a lot, and that frustrates me. Um, and I need to brush myself up on the laws of the game because they give an indirect free kick at the weekend for a kick in the head on Ilias' chair. Um, <laughs> and I don't know why. And it just sort of like it made a very good opportunity, not such a good opportunity, and I just didn't understand why. So uh, before I throw any, any rubbish at anyone, I'll probably need to read the rules myself because I was puzzled by that, completely puzzled by it. If you see it, even the other day I was watching the game and um, it came off a defender and they give offside. And I'm like, well, when did they change that rule? You know, there's so many things that are misinterpreted. But I would say the person with the best view, sadly for you, is a fourth official because he can see 
sometimes what the learner when the referee doesn't see. And they're there, as you said, they're as a team. And it's annoying when they, they, they kind of push, they throw each other on the bus rather than try and help each other. That, as a fan, that's frustrating. But I guess in the Premiership, they don't have that problem because they're all brilliant. <laughs> super, super. Premiership, let me tell you, because I've experienced them as well. <laughs> I know you have. I was being a little bit funny. Sorry, Charlie. Super, super quick last two from me. Uh, have you got an update on Dickie's injury and how do you pronounce Tim's surname? <laughs> Tim's surname is like a silent G. It's Iro Boonam. So oh, silent okay. G, Iro Boonam. really go for the U. Iro Boonam. I've had a lot of practice on that. I've spelled it wrong <laughs> a lot of times at Aston Villa. But by the time I got here to QPR, I was like, I'm not going to spell that nut boy's uh, name wrong again. Yeah, I think I need to note that down. Yeah, and then um, with Rob, uh, Rob was about a three to four weeker when he did it. He trained, there was no one really around him. He rolled his ankle, he completed the session later that day in the evening, it blew up. So we knew he wasn't going to play against Huddersfield, but obviously uh, I've been very honest in my interviews and I thought it was time I played poker face a little bit um, to surprise people. And obviously I knew what Leon could bring uh, to the team but I was just a little bit concerned that he hadn't played since the Scottish Cup final. And he had done, he came back, fair credit to him. When he came in, he'd only been working on his own, but he was fitter than all of our players or all of the players in the same position as him, just in terms of some of the tests that we did. Not all of them, but some of them in terms of his agility, jump power, his reaction speed. They're the attributes that Leon has. Um, and then obviously he's had about four or five sessions with a group and then we've just thrown him in against Millwall and then obviously again against uh, Stoke at the weekend, So which is which shows fantastic levels of professionalism, to be fair, when you think that you've been out of contract, you've been training in the park or you've been out running with a fitness coach on your own, that you can get to you know the, the middle of uh, September before you play from May and still play at such a high level. Um, so... Delighted with him. Rob will be back either in time for the Bristol game or certainly by the middle of the next week. Jay Clark Salt is going to be fit for Bristol as well. So it's going to be an interesting uh, uh, week for me, putting the four of them into a two, or albeit might be a three. We've not had that opportunity yet. Oh, you see, this podcast could open up all kinds of avenues. And I was saying that, I think they've all been, I mean, I sound like a little fanboy, but they've all, they've all, that everyone's game's improved as it gone on but I can see what Leon will bring you talk about that experience but also you wouldn't want to fight him down a dark alley would you you know he, he, he's he's tough I mean he's a very nice know. boy actually he's more of the he's, he's a different type of football player actually because he's uh, he likes his museums and his art galleries Leon so Leon likes to live the fine life so he's a very good singer as well actually probably the best initiation song what did he say? The next best, the next best ever is Tim Robinham. Like he sung away at Everton last year in a huge room at the Titanic Hotel in Liverpool with Aston Villa. And he sang a song by Frank Ocean. I don't know if you're familiar with Frank Ocean. He's a bit of an angry yeah. soul and he's a difficult man to, and honestly, like you'd pay to listen to young Tim sing. But Leon recently at Swansea got up and uh, he bettered him. So there you go. What, what did he sing? I oh, know oh, I can't start giving away what they sung and things like that. I'll just <laughs> say that they were a high, high standard. So Tyler Roberts, not so good. Even <laughs> Laird, he just went for crowd participation. So he tried to get the crowd involved and 
because he's such a nice boy. I think everyone just sort of, they gave him a little clap and a little bit of noise and uh, he winged it a little bit with his personality. But it's interesting seeing the boys in that way. Um, yeah, Leon, top singer, top person, good football player, obviously. Well, I'm thinking Leon Dion. That's what I'm thinking. I don't know why I'm thinking that. I'm, this is what I'm thinking. Just generally, Celine Dion's on your mind, or do you think that's what what he's saying? I would seek deep therapy if it was. I can tell you, no, no I weren't I, I, Celine Dion. That's for sure. That, oh, was it? Okay, okay, fair enough. Was it, um, Willie Roy's your trousers or whatever it's called, the one that's in Scotland? No, it weren't that either. <laughs> oh, we'll find out. Red Hot Chili Peppers, no. No, definitely not Red Hot Chili Peppers. By the sounds of it, your taste of music's got no chance of getting sung in an initiation song. But feel free, <laughs> feel free at the next sort of player get together. If you want to get up, you sound like you're you're interested in getting up and showing us what you've got. So we'll 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 can set that up, you know. Don't you worry, I'll get up and I'll do it. I'll turn the volster or something like that uh, from my, I'm old, you see. I'm 53, so my area is like Stiff little fingers, the Smiths, all that kind of thing, you know. But yes, heaven knows I'm miserable now. If we get beat, I'm happy to do that for you. Not a okay, problem. Cool. They won't thank you for it, and they'll probably ask for a transfer. But hey, oh, we'll see how it goes. <laughs> Robert, have you got to ask make anything before we let him have his evening back? Oh yeah, I'll quickly ask. What's been, in your opinion? What's we scored a few bangers? What's been your favourite goal of the season? From a, maybe from a coach point of view, as opposed to a fan point of view. Mm, interesting. I like the fullback to fullback goal. I like that one against Hull. Hull. Yeah. yeah, I like that one. I, I liked it a lot. I thought the goal in midweek against Millwall, the first goal was very good. Um, we we are very fortunate. We've we've already scored some really really good goals, which I think shows that the players are enjoying their football and playing with a freedom. So I've enjoyed them all. Uh, I haven't enjoyed a few of the uh, the misses because well, we might be up for goal of the season, but I think we're up for miss of the season as well. I think we've got <laughs> we've got another video, you know, like it's all right having this goal of the month for August one where everyone's going, that could be a goal of the season. We could also bring a video out of, of real big missed opportunities. I want a few scruffy ones to go in, if I'm honest. I think we work really hard for our goals. And uh, so like you look at Jimmy Dunn's one against Middlesbrough, it's a miserable goal, if you like, but I'll, you know, let's get ten or fifteen of them because they help you. You know, in between the fantastic bits of play, it's not often you see a goal which goes sadly nowadays from a goalkeeper through the defence, midfield, and up to the forwards and scored like we scored at Millwall, and um, that one meant a little bit. London derby, not a, not a big fan of the way. That club always carries itself. Nothing to do with the players and everything. I just, I've like, it's not my favourite club. So, and it's a London derby. So it was a, it was a nice goal for us to score. I actually, I like the way we we took the first one in and Chris sort of like had a wee look before. You know, it's just a perfect, perfect goal from a team point of view, isn't it? The way we passed it, the way he took the chance, and I think we were we were so much better than them. I mean. I wouldn't fancy having your position in the dugout, mind you, saying that, because I'm sure you had a few things said to you. Um, but I think they were, they were concentrating more or less on their own manager. I mean, that was that was interesting. But you know what? That's a flipping hard place to go there. I think I could be wrong. Maybe Johnny and, and could be right. I think that's only our third win there. Yeah, I got, listen, I've got loads of respect for the club. I've got loads of friends. Where I grew up, you know, is a, is a big 
area for Millwall fans, got loads of friends, got some family members. There was a lot of people there that I knew um, last week. And I think it's a really, really tough place to go. And I thought they had a right go at the game, Millwall and all. And I thought we played well. I thought we played really well. It was a good, sad, really, there's only one London derby. There should be a bit of needle in the London derbies as well. It's West London v South London. There should be. Shouldn't I shouldn't have to dress it up as a manager. Gary shouldn't have to dress it up either and try and be nice about it. Like... There is a bit of needle in it. We want to win. You guys go in there in the stands are desperate to go and win. We sold out our way in. And we, mm. want to win. we want to beat them. What we stand for and what they stand for, different. That's football. That's fine. As long as it don't go anywhere outside of the uh, the 90 minutes, then, then it's fantastic. And I thought that's what we got. I thought we had two teams go right at each other. And, uh, and, and we were just a little bit more ruthless on the night or clinical on the evening, which I was delighted about. I think I think you'll find that Luton home and away is an interesting one. I think that's probably the look the nearest we've got to playing Chelsea. Oh, I said them again because um, that can be lively. I mean, I don't know if you were last year. They made us walk from the. You probably heard obviously from the club that they, they made us walk from the coach into the ground and they had to do like go past their fans and everything. So they don't really like us up there. Uh, you should try going and walk in the gauntlet as a as a Rangers member of staff. At, um... At their rivals, because that's uh, that's interesting. I I grew up in Belfast, and I can un- not you ever tell. And I can honestly say, never mentioned it. Anyone playing uh, Philly Bingo here in the podcast? There's no one for you. Didn't support you them, make because they both put me off football for life. That is one game that just scares the bejesus out of me. I wouldn't fancy. I mean, I, my local derby as a child was Glen Torn against Linfield, and that was bad enough. Mm. Um, I've still got the scars standing in the Glen Torn and getting bottled by Linfield fans. But yeah, there's the Scottish matches, man. They just look at. I mean, it's something that we spoke to um, uh, Mark Wardson about before as well. Like, they're, they're just that the media attention, the atmosphere, it's the threats after the game. I mean, do, do you actually worry about what you have to eat and stuff? Is that, or is that just made up? No, like for me, for me, it was a real privilege to be involved in the games. I love to go back and watch it as a fan. It was always a game that I wanted to go to watch. I never thought I'd ever be involved in it. It's a bit like when I went to, to be involved in the Sao Paulo derby. I never thought I'd actually ever be yeah. there. Do you know what I mean? And it's just one of them surreal things that that you, you feel a privilege. There's a lot of pressure around it. I think the, the media, unfortunately, they have to build it up because that's what sells and everything like that. And I always felt there was a lot of respect amongst the two players, but they was under so much pressure going into the games, you know, and you're either 10 foot tall or you feel terrible for a week. You know, I was quite fortunate in the last two and a bit years, eight, nine old firms, I think maybe eight, we hadn't lost in before we left. So that was quite nice. Eight of them give you a deep breath, you know, give you a little bit of time, but they were privileged to be in. What I would say is two unbelievable football clubs, both with really good managers at the moment with lots of very good players, but second is last. And so therefore, you know, the fine line between doing well and being and, and being praised um, over the top praise and not doing well and being absolutely on the floor is the outcome of them games, unfortunately. And I've been on the, I've been on the right side more than the wrong side in the 14 games. I think obviously, being unbeaten in eight or nine of them was nice. I'll tell you one thing, I didn't know if you know this, in Larne, when they go to the games of Sonora, they have to get different ferries. It's insane. I've they actually don't... been at the airport, I've actually been at the airport flying to Belfast to a function and there was the Belfast flight and the Dublin flight going and and um, 
from Glasgow going back, and there'd been two different games. It wasn't an old firm uh, game, yeah. it was two different games. And um, no one recognised me because I did the old hat. I didn't do the furry moustache one, but I did the hat and kept my head down and uh, managed to go over. I've got a lot of friends in both sides of Ireland, so it's uh, it's not something I ever wanted to get involved in. That's not that's nothing to do with me. I'm just a football coach or a fo- exactly. football fanatic. And I think I can praise both clubs. Um and get criticised by it on for both sides. <laughs> it's one of them. Like, oh, you, you won't win. You won't win. I mean, that's. Can't win. I mean, that's the one thing. Sorry, Charlie. I will let you go. Maybe just brings you on to one other point. You're very active in social media. You obviously seem to embrace it and stuff like that. As a football head coach, manager, call what it is these days. Modern words. As I say, I'm old. Um, it terrifies me. Social media terrifies me. Do you find it? Hard, or you just ignore everything. I mean, you know, because it's 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 brutal, like though. I mean, after five minutes, we're, we're the world has ended. After ninety minutes, we're all great. I think. Listen, you like you can you can find whatever you're looking for on social media. You want to look for praise, it's there. If you want to look for the trolls and the people that are going for you, it's there. Um, so you don't look too hard. I use it really for news. The the thing for me with social media now is you can get news straight away. If you wait for nine o'clock news on TV. You, 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 you're behind everybody else so I use it to keep up to date and news I like to see other coaches in the game speak and I like to promote people that I've worked with I know how difficult it is to do well in life especially in the industry that I'm in and so players that I've worked with and former clubs and, and coaches I just like to praise them I like to support them I like to just use social media for the positive and from time to time you do get thrown you know, things thrown at you, which are not too nice, but I like to think they also, uh, they keep you, your feet on the floor when you think you're, you're, you're a little bit one step ahead of where you actually are in life. So I'm okay. I can use it positively in terms of, it. don't just like managing really, you can't get too high or too low. This game, there's always a game around the corner and there was always a soon, another team that's slightly a bigger bullier than you that will bring you back down to earth quite quickly. And um, that's the game. I do think for players, for young men, I don't think I'd have been able to handle it in my 20s. No. no. I don't think I'd have been able to handle it if it was a personal thing on my performance, you know, like personal, uh, if I was a player and I missed a chance. So uh, for players... I'm constantly advising them to only use it for positive reasons and to try not to give too much of a, an open and honest opinion out there that can then be uh, misconstrued because it's just words, isn't it? And once you put words down, yep. um, you know, people can read them in many different ways. So I just try and stay on the positive. I've been lucky enough to work with some fantastic clubs and lots of very, very good players and coaches and I like to promote my friends I don't think there's anything wrong in it and no. and uh, again like I say if you're looking for the trolls they are there and uh, that's why I use that block button isn't it just to uh, remove the background I'll mute I'll tell you what's good as well like, you must have kept count of all the photographs of Ian Beale and you put together when anything ever happens because <laughs> I must have counted at least 500 people thinking they were the first one ever to think of it well, when you're from London, it's the easiest way when you're on the phone to anyone, they ask you your surname. You say it's just spelt like the Bills in EastEnders. That was like the standard reply. But <laughs> unfortunately, I've stopped watching EastEnders probably for 20, 25 years now. So uh, I haven't got a clue if the, that family is still in there or not. And, uh, no idea. There you no go. Idea. You need to ask Chris Ramsey that. Okay. <laughs> Good one. But listen, 
thank you first of all for coming to our club and um for for, for doing this job it's it's um it's a great club to be at and you're more than welcome here and, and i just i just love the way that you're looking at the club and the the challenge ahead and it's it's great to hear you use the word privilege because it's our club is a privilege it might not be the biggest club in the world but to us it's the best and most important so thank you for coming down and managing it anything no you guys want to add before we let the manager go and have his uh evening back just be starting uh, for long be- enough. Best of luck. Best of luck for the rest of the season. And I look forward to coming down and singing to you all if you lose against Luton. <laughs> thanks, boys. Listen, thanks for all your support as well. And uh, we'll catch up in the season. Definitely. Cheers, big man. Look after Thank yourself, you. mate. See you later. Cheerio, What a nice fella. I know I said a lot of my people in football, but you know what? It's nice when you... you that was a good conversation. We covered everything there, I think, hopefully. I mean, some people probably say, you should have asked him this, you should have asked him that. But yeah, he, he, I like the that idea of wearing suits again. We're taking ourselves seriously. We're, you know, he, He's almost become a counsellor as well, hasn't he? This this whole new manager job, it's not like it used to be, is it? They sit down and, and shout at people. It's very, very complex. Yeah, I think he's a good modern manager. Um, he's determined. He knows, he knows what he wants. He's got, yeah. I'm sure he's mapped out his career and what comes after QPR. Um, but, you know, I'm very, very happy with him. I think he's great. Do you think I got away with not noticing I kicked the table over by mistake? No, everyone noticed. Yeah. <laughs> Charlie, did you enjoy that? Spot on. I think he's, he's honest, he's transparent. Uh, and he doesn't sugarcoat anything. He gives you the insight that I don't think many managers normally give. Um, and he's the perfect figurehead. He's almost like a 360 coach. I think he gets involved in areas that many other managers wouldn't. Um, and I think he's just a good figurehead for the club. Yeah, no, I, I, I think he's great. I really, really like him. But I think we've got to give him more in the season because we're saying this now and everyone said, oh, God, they were, they were up his arse, but they're doing well. There. But I think with, as you can see, it takes two or three seasons in this league to to get anywhere. But I'm more than happy where we are as a position. I mean, I know people say, oh, amb-. I don't think we're overly ambitious. I know some people are in, in social media and stuff. But I think realistically, any, anything close to that playoff position, and I'm more than happy with. Get some good home wins, half decent cup run. Um, and just a pleasure to watch Elias and, and Chris Willock do what they do every week. I mean, maybe I'm just getting too old and too happy, but I'm happy with that. Yeah, same. Same. You can't really argue with you, can you? It's just standard after what we've seen many years. Right, because we went on a bit and, um, yeah, I wrecked the house and I've got to put it back together again after this. Um, I think the dog's pissed. Um, he's on the floor. That wasn't good. Sorry, Snoopy. Don't say he'll be singing Danny Boy in a minute. Um, last two games, from my point of view, I think, as he said himself, four points you can't argue with. I think we were brilliant Millwall in the second half. The fans were amazing. Just incredible second, incredible goal, the first goal. And the second goal just just killed him. And it was just great. I enjoyed that. It was nice to go there, as I said. I think it's only our third win there. And, you know, Stefan took that. I think he needed that goal, didn't he? He really did, Charlie. He had the, that could be the making of him, This you know, coming back to how he can be. Yeah, I've been, I'll be, you know, I'll be honest, I've been quite critical in the last 12 months, but I think the last month or so, I think he's really up to it. I think his, his work rate's infectious. 
Um, I think he's got that desire back and I think that goal will do a world of good for his confidence. And I think you've seen that Stephanie Hansen probably in the last three games that we saw when he joined us on loan a couple of years back. And um, hopefully it can be a bit of a platform for him that he can really kick on because there's definitely a player there that's just getting out of him. Exactly. And do you know what? You can see what you're saying with the fullbacks and everything else. It's like, get, get, when everyone's fit... I wouldn't fancy up picking that side with you, Robert. I mean, you know, it's just... Uh, no, I think I think the question's going to be Balogun's his boy, Jake Clark. I mean, Jake Clark Salter. I didn't realise he'd known him since he was 13. Yeah, that's a big um, And Kedif. And Powell. Is it, I don't know where some of the... Cra- you know, you Rob Dickey's, your Jimmy Dunn's crowd favourites. They, they could struggle, struggle to get in the team. Um, which will be, be interesting. But look... No one's feel fit at the same time. You've got an international break. Someone will pick up a knock. Um, that's just the way it is, isn't it? And it's about it's about dealing with it. It seems the squad is there. Uh, not quite. They still haven't got the cover at right and left back, but everything else looks like it's covered nicely. Also, as well, the physicality that Stug brought on Saturday was a bit frightening. I mean, it's one of the biggest football teams that I thought of the land in the land of the giant. It was massive. Yeah, they're big. Are yeah, they? Yeah. I mean, that, that look at the back, Jesus wept. I mean, that was frightening. Yeah, Flynn um, 6'5". Yeah. Yeah, but it's but it's also, as I took myself offline now, as I'm having a great day, flooded someone's house, kicked the table over, what a day to have. But like, you know what I liked about Stoke as well? We didn't give up. It might not have been the greatest first half ever. I mean, even the manager said that, didn't he? At halftime, he was you know, bored and he told the players that, but... The crowd didn't turn at all, did they? And that's that's something, you know, because sometimes mm-hmm. you sort of see a game and you think everyone get the wee bit edgy. I think they know what he's trying to build. We know where we're trying to go. And, you know, I'm just pleased that that ref didn't give that penalty because where I was sitting from, obviously the manager was better than me, but I was like, oh, shade. This is so QPR. This is just going to be, oh, no. And then he had given it. It's like, oh, that's interesting. I thought it was Stonewall from where I could see it. Yeah, it wasn't just me then. But okay. they didn't include it in the highlights, which I thought was strange. Maybe, maybe it wasn't a penalty then. I don't know. Let's, 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 let's leave it like that. Let's never speak that. of it again. Let's never yeah. speak of it again. <laughs> speak of what you say, Robert. Speak exactly. of what. Exactly. But I'll tell you another thing about this as well. Our corners are getting better at last, aren't they? We're starting to start whipping them in again and making it a wee bit dangerous. Because our corners, SVS, are probably well. We're not dangerous at all. And we all knew what was going to happen. But they, we seem to be getting that weak. We, we, we're causing a menace even against a side the size of Stoke to make them panic at corners I think it's, it's doing something right yeah I think the whole thing is just a work in progress that appears at the moment to be moving in the right direction look the next four games are really tough Bristol mm. Luton away Sheffield away and home to Reading who were somehow up in third I think yeah, so you got look we could all have a complete mood change in the next four games that's the championship isn't it oh god I mean it's it's glory or failure isn't it it's, it's like mm. from one game to next like you know but we better do our R's end because the person listening to this has now decided they're going to go for a bath Please. there's nobody here <laughs> <laughs> that, that, that feels like my head yes <laughs> go on I'll, who wants to go first I haven't got one, but I'll think one on the hoof uh, of just nice to see the fans are still sticking with Lyndon, singing his song, supporting him. Be all hinted at that, this important. So 
let's stick with him. Uh, let's not uh, let's not turn on him. Uh, it's important. There are players. Let's let's stick with it. I, I think that's very well said, actually, and very true. He got a lot of support at Millwall and Stoke game. Charlie? Um, I think my R's end is almost an applause to um, Mick Beale's um, phone book. I think some of the players that we've signed, even on free transfers, I think remark- you think Slater, we- Salter, sorry, we haven't even seen really yet. Kenneth no. Powell on a free, Balogun on a free. I mean, some of these play- the level that these players have come in and performed at, um, and the business we've done, the you know the the real lack of money we've spent and the quality we brought in that have almost adapted to the level rather seamlessly. I think is, um, you know, a really good job well done from from Beal, from the recruitment team and and everybody else involved in the transfer dealings this summer. I think given the circumstance and the restraints, I think we've brought in some fantastic players. There's no one, there's nobody. You know, you normally get so you. On average, you'll have one or two players that you sign and don't really live up to it. Yes, we're only 10 games in, but um, I think the quality so far has been almost astounding for what we spent. So, no um, applause to the transfer window in, in essence. He's also improved Idius as well. Yeah. He's he's done a lot more. And Andre as well is mm. doing quite well. So, yeah, he's, listen, it's all good at this stage, isn't it? It's international break. We're having a relaxing time. No, my odds in is quite simple and quite short. And that is, I actually haven't got one. Beautiful. <laughs> but if I did have one. Now, do you know what? It's just, it was nice to see everyone singing last week and enjoying the football away, you know, going to, to Millwall and turn them over and the Stoke game, the atmosphere. And it's good. But I do, I do love the safe sanding area. I think it's getting better and better every home game. And um, it's now good to see people actually taking photographs of it, putting themselves on Twitter and saying, this is me. So it's become of somewhere to stand. And mm. if, I, I will go down there, but I'm, I'm old these days. You know, I think one of you boys should, should do it because you're young. I'm old. I'm not that okay. old. Okay. <laughs> needed to talk longer than each of our R's end but never mind <laughs> oh, well, it's not my fault they talk a lot the spring just continues and I'd say I was disappointed as well in the R's end that Jimmy Dunn didn't get a call up for, for Ireland that was sad yeah. I think he deserves it and it, it, you can see it means so much to him so hopefully they'll they'll get their act together and get him in that squad because I think he'd be a great addition to it even though I support the other Ireland I think it's a shame because he's a great player and a great lad right thank by the what I should do is say thank you to Paul Morrissey for sorting the manager out, by the way. That was that was good at the club. We, do, we know, listen, this, when we first started doing this many years ago, there was only really us and a couple of other people. I think we were the second podcast. Casper Delaney did the first one, did a couple, and then we took on from there. And we understand the pressure they are to be fair to everyone, and they have to be fair to everyone. So we thank you for giving us the manager. I won't hassle you for a while now. And um, we'll just talk amongst ourselves for a couple of months. <laughs> so listen, Robert and... Charlie, thank you ever so much. And I'll see you boys in a couple of weeks down in the Rangers. And um, yeah, this has been Open on Ours. And thank you to Mick Bill for giving us his time. And hopefully you'll enjoy that. Yeah.